0: This week on Thinking Biblically, we're going to be looking at the important subject of God's name. What is it, and what difference should it make in our lives? Welcome to Thinking Biblically. My name is Alan Gilman. Thinking Biblically is a podcast dedicated to exploring how all of Scripture speaks to all of life. Before we get into this week's subject, I want to remind everyone, if you haven't done so already, to subscribe, to share, to review, and to like. Um, A couple of weeks ago, we had our 25th anniversary celebration of Torah Bites, my weekly uh, commentary that I've been doing on the books of Moses, and uh, we opened that up for questions. It was a live event, and a friend of mine, Steve, asked a question about God's name, and I thought I had a ready-made presentation that I'd be able to share on that instead of getting into that very important subject at that time. And uh, if I do have such a presentation, I couldn't find it. So I thought I would do it for you today here on Thinking Biblically. So we're going to be looking at God's name. It also came up last week when I was speaking about my preferred pronouns. Uh, If you didn't get to see that, I encourage you to do so. Um, And so uh, well, let's get into let's get right into it. So this week, obviously, I'm uh, using a PowerPoint presentation. I uh, hope you enjoy this. I would like to encourage those of you that might be listening on and one of your on your podcast provider uh, to s- switch over to watching on video. I'm going to do my best to uh, narrate this so that you won't need to watch it, but I think you'll get more out of it if you do. And every week in the audio version i always put a link to the video version so you might want to stop this and go there but of course it is up to you and so this week we are looking at god's name a biblical perspective and a brief outline of what we're going to be looking at is first of all god has a personal name and uh, then we're going to look at what i'm calling the bible and god's name and understanding the technicalities now, some people don't like technicalities when it comes to studying the Bible, but if we don't understand how the Bible works, then we're not going to fully understand what it says, and that's why I encourage people to read the preface of your of your Bible to understand why the translators and the editors do what they do in your particular translation you might be surprised at some of the things that you find there if you're reading your bible online you could look up your particular bible version and write preface or introduction and search for that and you should be able to find it if you have a hard copy version it'll be uh, in somewhere near the table of contents at the beginning Uh, if you have any questions about technicalities about the Bible, some things that maybe I should cover for, at some point, or just a question I can answer, please make sure that you contact me and I'll, I'll do my best to, to get you an answer. And so uh, in understanding God's name from a biblical perspective, we need to understand how our Bible translations are, um, how they communicate, how they demonstrate God's name in we're, we're using English but we're going to be going back to the, the Hebrew to see how this all works and then we're going to look at the meaning and the power of God's name so we understand the technicalities to understand what's going on with the original languages through to our translation and once we get a handle on that then we can get to the core of the matter what does what what's God's name in scripture what is it all about what does it mean and um, the it's its effect and its power the power it should have on our lives so first of all god has a personal name Uh, so god the true god in the bible is referred to in various ways in the scriptures um and these various words function in different ways so there's the hebrew word elohim elohim means god that's what god is I know that's uh, uh, <laughs> that's kind of re- redundant, right? Uh, but Elohim is, is what he is. It, it, sometimes the word is El. Most often when it's referring to the true God, it's Elohim. It's a, it's a plural form and, and scholars get all excited trying to understand why that is. Uh, but Elohim is what God is. And it's derived from the, uh, the understanding of power. He is the great almighty force in the universe, but he's not an impersonal force like Star Wars. He's nothing like the force in Star Wars. Um, he, he's a he's a personal great power. Then there's the term Adonai. Adonai means Lord, and that's a title. We're going to get more into that because it plays a part in understanding his name, but Adonai is a title. Then there's other names that we run into, um, things uh, that are more descriptors, and and you'll see uh, books and sermon series and this sort of thing that will talk about these different names, like Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide, from Genesis twenty two verse fourteen, or Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, Exodus fifteen twenty six, and and there's many of these, and. Often this happens when somebody has an experience with the true God, and they refer to him in some sort of descriptive way, using what really is his personal name, and I mentioned Jehovah already here, we're going to talk about Jehovah, and if that is how to say God's name or not, but that's often how you hear it, that's why I'm mentioning it. Um, and so I uh, Jehovah is an attempt at pronouncing God's name. But as I said, we're going to discuss that. But that was all to say, those, those hyphenated names are descriptors of, of what he has done. Uh, particularly, he is the God of Israel. This is one way to refer to him. Remember, there's all these other gods in scripture. And he is the one who is associated personally with the people of the nation of Israel. And so he's the God of Israel. Uh, and, but that's still, it's a descriptor of who he is it could be used as a title but that's not his personal name so as i mentioned in the introduction now we're going to try to understand the technicalities behind god's personal name and so i'm going to give you a bit of an introduction to the hebrew text i did a a longer presentation more in-depth presentation of this in my old testament course that you can always access online unleashing the old testament where i did a taste of hebrew so this is a a, this is a (laughs) less than a, a taste but it's a little bit of an introduction in case these concepts are new to you so here's a picture of a torah scroll this is if you go to a synagogue the five books of moses are written on scrolls and there are other scrolls as well and they're in a special cupboard called an ark uh where they're where they're kept and i don't have i tried to do a nice zoom in of this photo but then it gets all blurry so i'm going to give you a another snapshot of what scroll text is like this is the how the hebrew bible text is written on official scrolls that you find in the synagogue it looks like this now for some of you this is totally foreign for others of you it's not so much hebrew is written from uh, right to left, uh, um, not backwards. English is backwards because Hebrew is older. And uh, and so here we have Hebrew Hebrew writing. It's a little fancier in a scroll text because they are written by hand. But if you went and you got a printed text like this, it would look a little different. This image I have is because I, I took a picture of a printed Bible, so a little bit of a curvature, so it wouldn't be so curved also if you go online you can uh, you can see printed hebrew text like this and so unlike the scroll text let's see if i can uh do i have a pointer here oh there we go you can see here this is the beginning we're gonna look at this verse this is genesis chapter 1 verse 1 we're gonna look at this a little more closely in a moment but reads from right to left and you have the letters and then you have these dots and dashes and squiggly lines surrounding the letters so let me explain that to you. So, Hebrew is what we call a consonant, consonantal alphabet. The alphabet is simply consonants. So, in English, uh, we have consonants and we have vowels. You know, Old MacDonald had some vowels A E I O U and sometimes Y. You're never going to forget that now. So those are the vowels in the English language. Hebrew has vowels too, but the alphabet. If you memorize the alphabet, alpha, uh, sorry, aleph, bet, gimel, dalet, or the first first. I'm having a little bit of trouble here. The first four letters, the vowels. I mean, the, the the letters. There's 22 of them. Are all consonants some of them are silent actually they're silent now these do not be so silent like aleph was in your throat now it's a silent letter uh but uh most of them make sounds and uh they're they're the kind of sounds that you use your your lips and your tongue you know the but kind of an R sound those are consonants and your your a o e i e sounds those are vowels so the letters in hebrew are just the consonants so this is Genesis chapter one, verse one. We're gonna come back to it in a second. I, I wanna illustrate a little bit of what it's like to work with a consonantal alphabet. So here's a sentence, a sentence in English, with only consonants, no vowels. Now it's very possible that just by reading this sentence, you could figure out what it says. And what it says is, here it is with the consonants, the dog chased the cat. And so, you know, DG in English could be dog, it could be dig, CT could be cat, could be caught. But when you have a wider context, whether it's a sentence or a paragraph or something longer than that, we most likely would be able to figure it out. Israel isn't written that way the way Hebrew is. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. This is how it would be written, a little fancier, but this is how it would be written in a scroll text, no vowels. This is how Hebrew was written in biblical times. And in fact, it is still written this way in modern times. When you read an Israeli newspaper in Hebrew, there are no vowel markings like this. And so here, this is like what we saw in our printed text, uh, where there are these additional symbols around the letters to tell us what the vowels are so in ancient hebrew when the when the bible was originally written there were no vowel markings and that's the same as modern hebrew today if you read an an israeli hebrew newspaper there are no vowel markings you know how to pronounce the words by their context by your familiarity with the words and so on now there was concern after the temple was destroyed, that the pronunciation of the Hebrew would be lost. And so moving further on, between the fifth and 10th century, there was a group of scribes called the Masoretes. And they took great care of preserving the Hebrew biblical text. And they devised a system of dots and dashes and other markings to communicate to the reader what the vowels are as well as things like punctuation and so there's there actually did they actually did more than that than just the vowel markings what we, we call the system that they developed one of vocalization that also includes how the text was to be chanted and so there's other markings that are tend to be little squiggles and curves and things that were in the printed text that i showed you a few slides back and that is how this text was to be sung and so their system contains both the vowels and the um the the chanting the cantillation marks So now let's talk about God's name itself, now that we have a little bit of an introduction into how the biblical text works. So here is how God's name is written out in the the Hebrew scriptures, the four letters. Remember that Hebrew is written from right to left. So there's four letters here, and this is God's personal name so I was talking about earlier, which many people eventually use the name Jehovah. We'll look at the more common ones today, but it's used about 7,000 times in the Hebrew Scriptures, making it one of the most common words uh, in the biblical text. It's often referred to by scholars by this very long technical name. Uh, Let's see if I get the pronunciation right, and Wow, and I've got the, the consonants and the vowels to work with here. It's called the Tetragrammaton, and it's Greek for four letters. So th- there you go. So it's the name of God is derived from the Hebrew word Haya, meaning to be. And we encounter it in a very big and defining way when Moses meets God on Mount Sinai for the first time. God calls Moses, and Moses gives God all these reasons why he should not go. And this is part of that dialogue between them. I'm reading Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So let's look at it here. So where God says to Moses, I am who I am, uh, or it could be I am that I am. It's the Hebrew, the Hebrew words, uh, I'll say it again. A will a it again. Yeah, you can see some of the similarity here. Uh, I don't have time to go through how Hebrew works. Uh, the Words tend to be, I guess I'm going to tell you a little bit. So Hebrew is very, very reliant upon roots. So there's a basic word. And then from the basic word, by adding other letters to the beginning, to the end, or even to the middle of the root word, that's how we get how the word is used in various ways that's all i'll say I, I'll, I'll try to stick to that and so it, the root word is haya the sentence we encounter in exodus 314 is a yeah a i am who i am and and it goes on when he says and this and say this to the people of israel i am has sent me to you so that is a yeah god is saying tell them a yeah has sent me to you but it's interesting that you know you'd think from that time on whenever anyone would say something like thus says the lord they would be referring to i am or i am who i am but they don't it's these four letters the tetragrammaton that is used whenever you see in the prophets thus says the lord and it's like 7,000 times just about the, this is what you encounter in the Hebrew, these four letters. So let's look at this more closely. Remember we're going from right to left. The first letter is the letter Yod, and it makes a Y sound. Sometimes it could function with with other letters and act as a vowel. Um, I mentioned that the, the vowel markings were created by the Masoretes. Well, before then, as the Hebrew developed, some consonants began to act as vowels. I don't want to get too complicated in the technicalities for you, but at the beginning of, of this name, uh, it would be a y sound. The second letter, and there, there's two occurrences of this, is the letter hey, and it normally has a huh sound, like the English H, a huh. And sometimes it also can act as a, along with a, a vowel type or silent letter we have a daughter named Sarah very common we use the closing H that's taken right from the Hebrew uh, but we don't say Sarah we it can be it can be silent Um, often it's not it can have an aha sound the third letter is commonly referred to today as vav um, but it was most likely originally a wow not not wow but a wow and today we use a v uh, for this letter but in ancient times it was a w i believe yemenite jews in their way of speaking hebrew still used the w throughout time and jewish people being in europe eventually the w become became a v the v of uh, the w wow became a v possibly because of germanic influence where where uh, what sounds would be uh you would like a letter w would be uh you'd get a v sound because the way things get pronounced through time change that's just a common thing with language and uh it's still this is a little for people who are more familiar with modern hebrew it it would be strange to find out that david david was Dawid. um but we tend to say in modern Hebrew, most people would say David, I and mean, that's just that's just how this goes. We're talking technicalities here. And then the final letter is also a hey, and and represented in English by an H. And so if we were going to uh, if we were going to represent these four letters, the tetragrammaton with English letters, we do it from left to right, it would either be YHVH or YHWH. And uh, most scholars go with what's called Classical Hebrew and they'll use a W for the wow instead instead of a V, instead of the vav. So now let's look at how to pronounce God's name if that's possible. So we have the four letters, and it's sometime in Jewish history. It's hard to tell when it was, but it's post the time of the Hebrew Scriptures, getting closer to the time of Yeshua's coming. Uh, maybe in the second century B.C. At the time of, around the time of what's called the Septuagint, that's the the first Greek translation of Hebrew Scripture. It was very popular uh in the days of Yeshua and and beyond and there are parts of the church that still rely very heavily on the Septuagint this ancient Greek translation of of the Hebrew Scriptures anyway somewhere around those times it be it, it was considered too sacred to say God's name this is God's name yud Vavhe. vav those are Hebrew letters the four Hebrew letters but it became too sacred to actually say it out loud it was used in less and less occasions instead of saying god's name pronouncing these four letters instead people would use the hebrew word adonai which means lord we're very used to for for many reasons we use it as a title but also in the scriptures in in the most English translations, whenever the name of God is encountered, yud Hey vav Hey, now often pronounced Yahweh or something like that, you will see Lord written in all caps. We actually call the small caps in a large capital L and then a then O-R-D and smaller but capital letters. And this is to indicate, this is why you should read the preface of your Bible, That should explain that to you. They're doing that whenever they, you see Lord in all caps, they are representing the, tetra, the tetragrammaton, the, the, the special four letters that indicate God's personal name. Now, we talked about the Masoretes and how they created the system of dots and dashes to represent the vowels. Well, what they did with God's name is they utilized, let's see if I can use my pointer hand again. So remember we go from right to left. So there's these two dots, one on top of the other. And then we have this thing that looks almost like a funny T with a, with a circle at the bottom. These are Hebrew vowels. We're not gonna get into the names of the Hebrew vowels and all, how they sound in this presentation. It's very important, but not for today. And so most of the time, this is how you're going to see God's name pointed. And it's very similar, if we look over here at Adonai, how Adonai is pointed, we see these two dots, but along with this dash, um, and it's, an, it's a very short as ah sound. And actually, the short sounds, which are referenced by these, or indicated by these two dots, one on top of the other like this, there's a series of these short vowels that all kind of sound the same the kind of like it's an uh sound a very quick uh sound you also see this this is a longer a sound a more open a sound an ah kind of thing um and along with the yud at the end that's how we get Adonai just take my word for it for now that's why in English you see an a and an i together that's based on this vowel over here and this this yud, that's why you have a i. Um, and so these are represented in the name of God by the indication of a short vowel, but without the extra dash, because that's how it would be with a yud. And then the the wow or the vav uh, has the same vowel over that's under what's called a nun over here in Adonai now then there is this dot above this d sound in Adonai this is a dalit is the letter that's how we get ah so Adonai the ah sound is not represented here sometimes it is sometimes it's not there's all, all this discussion as to why that is most of the time when you see the the name of God written out in Hebrew Bible, it's these two vowels, but there are other vowel markings sometimes with it. As far as we can tell, the Masoretes were doing two things. They were indicating to the reader to say Adonai, Lord, instead of trying to pronounce God's name, um but they were also doing in such a way to remind the reader not to try to pronounce the name using these vowels okay so let's go on to the next slide if i can get to it turn off my pointer here there we go so now i want to talk about the jehovah fallacy so based on the the vowel pointings and sometimes there is the sound over this sec this first rather this first hey back in the 12th or uh, 13th century rather there was a Spanish monk who was doing um, some sort of Latin translation and he decided he was going to represent God's name actually and he thought he would simply apply the vowels he was encountering in the translation and that's how not jehovah it would have been written this way but it would have been pronounced something like jehovah jehovah and in english we would read that as jehovah but he didn't know what he was doing because he didn't understand that the masoretes were providing signals to not try to pronounce this name and to remind the reader not to try to say the name which by that time no one knew how to pronounce exactly and to uh, substitute God's the pronunciation of God's name with the title Adonai and so this is how uh, Yehovah or Jehovah came into uh, English use eventually what's more interesting about the whole pronunciation thing is that the the letter j historically in using this kind of alphabet in other languages it came into english as a y sound you if you uh that's how it it was originally to be pronounced eventually it got changed to a zh or a j uh in 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 other languages so it's originally a y and that's why uh we have more than one son with a with a j first name so we have a Joshua we have a Jonathan Joshua is from Yehoshua in Hebrew in English the y became represented by a j and then the j's pronunciation got changed to a j so actually all those those names that um one of my favorite ones is James James in English is actually yokobos in greek it got changed into latin into english it's yokobos which is far more like yakov so there's no in either greek neither greek nor in hebrew is there a j sound Uh, hebrew has a g but not a j Uh, and so that's how eventually so the the representation of of a what we call a j in english was originally a y and then the pronunciation became a J and so we have a double mispronunciation by using Jehovah because originally was intended to be Jehovah trying to represent the letters and consonants as this monk was seeing them not knowing that he wasn't supposed to do that and then the Jehovah becomes Jehovah as the pronunciation of the J so Jehovah is completely wrong Yeho- yehovah is already incorrect that's not the way god's name was to be pronounced at all instead scholars doing their scholarly research have come upon what they think is the best pronunciation but it may not be correct uh it's something like yahweh or yahweh if you want to use the v the vav instead of the the w with wow um I'm sure it's not pronounced wow it sounds too wow uh but it, the, the w sound and so that's where we get yahweh from and the uh this the ya one of the ways they they get uh why should be a ya because remember from here it would be a yeah not a ya but we have yah very clearly in the Hebrew scriptures in a word such as hallelujah which means praise. We now say praise the lord it's praise and it would be god's name in a short form and we see yah also found in a name like elijah which in hebrew is eliyahu uh, which is uh, the lord or yahweh is my god Uh, we also see it in isaiah pretty hidden in isaiah the hebrew for isaiah yeshiyahu just like Eliyahu, and that is the Lord has saved. And this is one of the ways scholars have tried to find the right pronunciation for this collection of letters, but nobody is absolutely sure. Uh, There is a little bit of uh, chatter online. If you look it up, you'll see that there's a claim that there are early manuscripts of the Septuagint. That's the the first Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures that they try to represent the Tetragrammaton in a variety of ways. uh, And and there seems to be evidence that sometimes they would use Hebrew, they would use an ancient, a more ancient form of Hebrew. uh, They would sometimes use it, leave it blank. They would maybe use Greek letters, but none of this is too sure from what we could tell Nobody knows anymore how to pronounce God's name. This tradition of saying Lord has been around for a long time. And the most common thing that we find in the Septuagint is this. This is, uh, the Greek word is kurios. So in the Greek translation, in the Septuagint, uh, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, wherever, the translator would see god's name represented here by the tetragrammaton with these vowels no no sorry they wouldn't see the vowels that early they would they instead of trying to represent god's name they would put the greek word kurios which means lord using the title um and so just getting back to a little bit this some of this chatter that you're going to see online Uh, Because of some of these evidences of using other conventions to represent God's name, there seems to be an assumption, but no actual archaeological evidence that the writers of the New Testament used God's actual name in the New Testament. So some are claiming that in the original writings of the New Testament, they would use something whether using Greek or using Hebrew letters to represent God's name, to signify that they were still saying God's name at that time. And so they're trying to show that God's name was actually kind of erased much later on. But the evidence to date shows what I've been saying, that it was earlier on that God's name was deemed to be too sacred to be pronounced. And eventually the pronunciation was lost. And um, I'm going to talk about the the ramifications of that as we move on to the meaning and power of God's name. So as we talk about the, the meaning and power of God's name, one thing we need to start with is it's not about the sounds. Now, Maybe there are some of you that are watching and listening and you've delved into this and you've seen some of the supposed evidence that even in Yeshua's day that they were saying God's name and somehow later uh, of his followers kind of erased the pronunciation out of existence. We need to go back to saying it. Well, we really don't know how to pronounce it. That's, That's number one. And even if we had a better idea... Just like with the the wow becomes a vav, the w becomes a v, the sounds of languages change over time. Sometimes pretty quickly, even in similar regions of the world. When you move from town to town, we hear words pronounced in different ways. You know, um, there's the name Eugene. I don't know why this kind of strikes me. Sometimes it's said, said it's pronounced Eugene. Other times it's pronounced Eugene. And I imagine if you grew up being called one or the other, it matters to you how, how, it's, how it's pronounced. Also, if you've said it a particular way, it would be very difficult for you to say it the other way. But these sounds change. The name Eugene, well, probably people called Eugene, I don't know what, what the name Eugene means. If it has a meaning, it probably does. But most people called Eugene, that's, they weren't called Eugene because of the meaning. Uh, in, in biblical times, people's names, often the meaning of the names, somewhat related to the person. But in both cases, the function of the name is to represent, it's, it's an identifier of the person. And that's how names function. And so pronunciations can change without changing how the name itself functions in relationship to the person. It's not about the sound itself. Um, There is a tendency among some people who are passionate about the Bible, as I am, to want to discover the authentic, that if somehow we can get back to exactly the way it was, the way it was thought, the way it was, whatever the way it was, that somehow that's going to make that thing more real now understanding context understanding intention of words understanding how words function yes we need to do that but these other kinds if only we could pronounce the hebrew properly uh then somehow we're we're getting closer to god but language doesn't work that way language is code it's either sound code but if it's written, then it's written code, and it represents things. And we need to, it, whether we, we try to say God's name by saying Yahweh, Yahweh, or something like that, or we represent his name with Adonai, or Lord, as long as we're thinking about the right one in the right way, as he intended, it tends to be represented, then we are using name in a legitimate way. One of the things about searching for the authentic sometimes, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but this insistence that we must say these words exactly as we think they were said at a particular time, which we don't know. There's no way of knowing that. Even if we didn't have this this, um, losing how to pronounce God's name problem, we we don't know. We really don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, The tendency to want to say it exactly right. Again, maybe not you. It's akin to magic. You say the right words in the right way and then things will happen, special things will happen that would not happen otherwise. We have to say it properly or else. Now, there is something. There is something that we're missing when we don't understand that Lord in all capitals represents God's name. When the Masoretes, using their system of dots and dashes, applied the dots and dashes as they did to the Lord's name, they did do it in such a way to remind the reader that we're talking here about God's name. So that when we encounter Yud, He, Vav, He, those four letters, we and in, or in English, Lord in all capitals, we need to understand we are talking about God's personal name, and it's not just a title. God is personal. He is a particular personal being. And encountering God's name, whether it's in Hebrew with the four Hebrew letters, whether it's most of the time in Greek, a little more tr- trickier. When we see kurios, it depends on the context uh, whether it's referring to God's personal name or using a title, um, but when we read it in the in the an English translation of the Hebrew Bible, the four capital letters for Lord, we're dealing with a personal being. We need to remember that. We need to remember that God is personal. Then we need to remember the meaning of the name. It's supposed to stand for. I am who I am. The God of Israel is the only being in the whole universe who is self-defining. He is above all of our figurings out of things. Humans, and I believe this is a gift of God, it began with Adam in the garden. Humans analyze things and name them. Humans define things. That's part of our job as stewards of the planet. God defines us, but we do not define God. We have to get to know him on his terms, know him in his way, in the way he has revealed himself. We need to be really careful with our theological pronouncements, the things that we say about God, about his character, about what he's like and all the rest. We must be careful to seek the scriptures as to who he is and how he has revealed himself. And then we need to accept that he is the one who defines us. That's what I try to emphasize in my last podcast when I talked about our pronouns. Our definitions of ourselves, our, our understanding of ourselves, is not to be derived from ourselves, but it's to be defined by the self-existing, self-defining one who created us. We find out who we are. We find out what we are by the self-existing, self-defining one, the great I am. God created us on purpose and for a purpose, and he is the one who defines what that meaning and that purpose is. We don't go inside of ourselves. We don't go to others to find out who we are. Others can be helpful when they help bridge us to God and help us understand how God sees us, how God defines us. Definition, understanding, and meaning can only be discovered by knowing God, the great I am. The world, the universe did not come into existence on its own. The great being, the derived from the Hebrew Hayah, the great being. In French, uh, they often represent uh, God's name. Through l'éternel, the eternal one. It's an attempt. It's, it's 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 still it's better to leave it as the title Lord, understand that it's representing the, the great I am, the, the great being, and then allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by a, that concept that if we allow that to happen, if we allow ourselves to understand how different God is. And how he has established everything. And that the universe exists for his purposes. And he wants us to serve him within those purposes that he has set. Then we not only know him, but then we can know what life is all about. And we can know who we are. We can only know who we are when we know God on his terms. And speaking of bridge... He has made that possible by revealing Himself through the Messiah who dared to refer to Himself as I Am. He is the full revelation of God. And again, on God's own terms, You know, for our own people, one of our issues with, with, with Yeshua is we, we see that in Scripture, we see that still today we want to know god on our own terms according to our own traditions but that's not just a jewish problem that's a human problem we want to know to know god we want to reflect god on our terms but the great i am does not allow it when we do that we cut ourselves off from him it's very very serious when we um speak about God on our own terms, we are taking the Lord's name in vain. That's a very dangerous thing to do, but he invites us in to know him as the great I am. So what do you think? Was this helpful? Do you do you not agree? Do you agree with me? Let me know. You can leave comments below, or you can email me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org. Dot O-R-G. Let me get that out properly. Comments at thinkingbiblically.org. And so until next time, this is Alan Gilman with Thinking Biblically.